This episode of Into the Wild is brought to you by Leica Sport Optics. As the world opens up and we're able to venture forth and go and explore again, it's essential that we have the kit we need so we don't leave nature hotspots disappointed. With that in mind, I cannot recommend Leica Sport Optics enough. Leica not only have a great range of optics for a wide range of uses, but they also offer finance plans to help people like me that would rather pay bit by bit. I'm currently using the Leica HD Ultravids, and now I can clearly see all the birds that I am also still unable to identify. Read more about Leica's range via their website in the write-up of this episode. And now, on with the show. Hello everyone and welcome to Into the Wild, the podcast all about wildlife facts, conservation updates and nature stories from the professionals to you. Welcome to the show everyone, my name is Ryan Dalton, I am your host as always. Thanks so much nerds for clicking play on the pod. Well, you know what, usually I would complain about sat here recording my intros underneath a dressing gown because I'd be too warm, but damn, the temperatures in the UK have dropped, so... Right now, I'm over the moon that I can be underneath this dressing gown, warming up, because I am shivering. The temperatures are low in London, even with our microclimate, it is cold. But what a week it's been, um, Spotify was letting everyone know what are the most common things they were listening to, the most popular songs, artists and podcasts, and I just want to say a big shout out to everyone on Instagram and Twitter that was tagging Into the Wild as their top podcast listen to of the year hell yeah thank you um those of you that did post that we were second third fourth or fifth try harder listen more you know the episodes there go back listen to them again come on we can do this (laughs) fake it to make it do you know what i mean (laughs) on that note as well listeners of the show which is you you right there if you listen on iTunes, oh, do you know what I'd love? I'd love you to give the show a review. If you can go on there and give us a review and tell us what you think, I would be over the moon. It would help me out a great deal. And if you have any suggestions for episodes you want to hear in 2022 um, or any feedback at all, you can give us a shout on social media. You can DM me or you can send me an email into the wildpod at gmail.com. Please feel free to do that. But you know what time it is. It is time for 60 Second Nature News, a segment where I deliver four bits of nature news that have happened recently that are positive and to give us a bit more optimism about the planet. So deep breath, Ryan. Here we go. 60 Second Nature News. Let's see if we can do this. Ready? One, two, three. Let's go. A first in Scottish history has been achieved where the relocation of a family of beavers destined to be cold has been moved to a pond on Argety. The jaguar population in Mexico has increased by about 800 animals from 2010 to 2018 according to the first two censuses of the elusive carnivals ever conducted in the country. This news confirms that Mexico's national strategy to protect jaguars is working. An indigenous community in the southwest Colombia established a protected reserve in the face of illegal logging, mining and cocoa cultivation being carried out by criminal groups. The Epara Sayadapara peoples are especially interested in protecting the extremely poisonous golden dart frog, which they historically used in the darts whilst hunting. And finally, two mountain gorillas have been born in Dr. Congo's Varonga Park. A male in the Walunga family and a female in the Humba family were born on November 15th, the park announced on their Twitter, bringing the number of gorilla births since January to 16. The mountain gorilla population has increased fivefold in 40 years in the three countries where they live. And that's the end of 60 Second Nature News. (laughs) 
there we go. That was 60 second nature news. Um, do you know what? That never gets easier. I've been doing that for months now and that never gets easier. It's so... <laughs> you lot hear the polished version, but it is not polished. There's so much swearing in the edits of that. <laughs> Before I introduce today's show, I would like to ask you lot a little bit of a favour or remind you of something, not ask you a favour. I'd just like to remind you all that Into the Wild always aims to be a free show. However, running it is not free. If you would like to support myself and Oscar, who does a brilliant job editing, then you can click on the Kofi link in the write-up of this episode, where it will take you to a page where you can buy us a coffee. I don't want it to sound too much like begging, but it would be an absolute Christmas treat if we could enjoy a chai latte <laughs> on you lot. So if you'd like to do that, then please click on the link and follow the instructions on there. Anyway, on to today's episode. What are we talking about today? Well, what would an independent British nature podcast be if we didn't have another chat about beavers? In the early stages of Into the Wild, I spoke to the brilliant Sophie Pavel about beavers in the UK. Then I spoke to the Beaver Trust themselves. And now I am back a year later since that last episode to talk to Eva Bishop from the Beaver Trust about where we are 12 months later with getting beavers back and established in the UK. I absolutely loved this chat with Eva and it was brilliant to finally get to meet her kind of in person on Zoom and have a chinwag about these brilliant nature restoring animals and have Eva answer all my questions about where we're at, what's next and what she feels most optimistic about with these animals. So enough of my mouth, welcome the episode Beavers in the UK a year later with Eva Bishop. Eva, welcome to Into the Wild. I feel like I've known you for years. That's is that weird to say? <laughs> no, it's very kind. I like it. <laughs> I feel like I've been following you and seeing your tweets and what you've been doing in your work for nearly two years. So it's nice to finally get the chance to meet you on on Zoom. Obviously, everything's on Zoom. Indeed, likewise. How are you? Welcome to Into the Wild. Have you had a good day? I've had a really busy day, but um, good day, lots of progress. And as, as you saw, because I completely forgot, um, but I've been, had a really, really busy day. Uh, but it's all great stuff, more great, exciting beaver news and a little bit of less good cop news, you know, oh, lack of progress. God, I know. But yeah, good day. Thank you. And I managed to get outside. How are you dealing with cop? A mixture of emotions yeah um anger you know rage motivation participation and burying my head in the sand because it's so <laughs> unprogressive um so a mixture of all those things but yeah that's a, that's a good collection of words though <laughs> worth pointing out for his sake i did do a recording with peter kalmus who's a really top uh, and impressive climate scientist that is available online and um asked him about the one and a half degree goal because that's my big thing is i i feel like we've already overshot that and mm. all the hot air and rhetoric about political rhetoric about it is pointless um but he believes we're still you know it's still physically possible as far as actual earth physics goes but it involves you know stopping fossil fuels tomorrow and actually stopping it's not yeah. nothing to do with the net don't you find that I, I, I must say to listeners, as myself and Eva are recording this, it's the second week of COP, so it's a Tuesday of the second week, so on the 9th of November. I, sometimes I get that feeling that 
just no one knows what, what's going on. And I think that's where a lot of the anxiety comes from. Yeah, I think it is. No one knows, but I think everyone can see the time mm. dripping away, yeah. like a, you know, a sand timer, um, egg timer, and not enough. There have been some really exciting announcements, um, like the deforestation yeah. ambition, even though that's, in my view, too slow. It's great that this sort of thing is starting to happen. And one of a couple of the really lovely things emerging and sort of shining for me are the front and centre voices of Indigenous communities. Yeah, absolutely. And the youth. And there was an awesome all-female panel mm. led by Emma Watson, yeah, I think. Yeah, I saw that the photo. Like the most fascinating conversation. You know, that kind of thing is, is going to have ripple effects mm-hmm. after COP, and that's really exciting. Where it goes, I'm not sure, but I'm, I'm just seeing a lot more positive noise and more people waking up to it, and that's got to be a good thing. I, I, agree, I agree, and I think, actually, it's the ripple effects afterwards that will probably do more good than the target set at cop 26 <laughs> i think yeah, i hope probably. i hope yeah. i hope both would be brilliant <laughs> but my um yeah, exactly. my normal mind thinks that but anyway today <laughs> well we're going to be talking about beavers a year later because i think it was just over a year since i spoke to james wallace who was um who was director of beaver trust and i've also spoken to sophie Pavel about beavers on the podcast before and now i'm talking to yourself Excellent. but it's been a full year <laughs> since we've been speaking about That's nearly the whole team right it is i've nearly gone through the beaver trust haven't i is there anyone else left <laughs> i just need to talk to a beaver now an actual beaver to get their perception yeah. of the whole thing um but before we get onto that let me ask um can you explain to us eva who you are and what is it you do Yes. So I am at the moment comms director at Beaver Trust, um, but I come from a general environmental background. I've been a climate activist for about 15 years, um, working on all sorts of bits and pieces. And I'm also an organic gardener. And most importantly for me, I'm a mother of two young children who are six and eight. And um, I'm at this place in life where everything is slowly linking up in a way that possibly other people's lives have linked up a lot earlier than mine, and some people's probably never get there. But I'm at this really big moment of, oh my God, how that relates to that, mm. and the interconnection of working life and parenting and climate and, you know, the whole thing is really fascinating. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm a sort of generalist environmentalist, That's- you know? <laughs> but also, um, <laughs> but really enjoying leading the comms work and part, being part of the director team at... Um, Beaver Trust because it's a small dynamic really passionate and driven team who are trying to do more for the nature and climate crises with beavers and you know relating to beavers so it's really cool yeah the beaver trust did it launch last year or the year before 2019 2019 it has done some incredible work for something that's just only had a couple of years or a few years in the making well, thank you very much. Thank it's, you. It's been it's, ama- amazing um, to watch it grow, I think. We're pedalling hard in the background. <laughs> <laughs> like gerbils on a wheel, just constantly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like beavers on a hamster wheel. Yeah, um, yeah no, it's, it, it's, we have achieved a huge amount and uh, there's a lot to be proud of, but there's a huge amount left to do. And a lot of what we've achieved has been through collaborative partnership as well. So it's, you know, as I say, we are a small team and we can't do all this alone, but it's... It's been a real learning journey into the world of conservation and some of the characters involved are fascinating. Yeah. Really that is fun. the most polite way I've ever heard that that meaning <laughs> on and off record. <laughs> the characters in wildlife conversation are very interesting. <laughs> Oh, that tickled me. Um, right, next question about yourself is, 
like you said, you're a climate activist. You've worked a lot with nature, including your organic gardening, which is amazing. So what does wildlife and nature mean to you as a person? I like this question and it can go in so many different directions. But basically, my the answer that came to me was everything. Yes. It means absolutely everything. It is awesome. It's beauty. It's adventure. It's solace for me, particularly at the moment. It's creative space. It's peace. It's wonder. It's but but we are nature. I'm reading um, braiding sweetgrass at the moment, so nice. it probably explains my headspace. <laughs> but you know, it's it's also it's home to us, and and I think that my views on it are also changing. So. Mm. I've got this, I've, I've, as I say, I've had eight years of engaging with it through a child's eyes with my children. And that's fascinating in itself because it slows you down. And through lockdown, you know, I spent half hours sitting on the grass looking at a bug with my son mm. who's fascinating by it. And and I wouldn't do that as an adult in my day-to-day life. Yeah. So it's, it's time to appreciate it a lot more. It's been amazing. I think I grew up around it and in it, you know, in a um, really nice big garden where I was thrown out a lot to just be outside (laughs) so I did that and I really you know didn't appreciate it at the time but really grateful for it now and I think that my views on it a little bit are changing so despite there's a lot of talk about systemic thinking Mm. and our web of connection with nature isn't there but I don't think necessarily many people and I'm for one of them actually step into that and live it I think that a lot of people still see this dominance over nature. Yeah. Which is why we're in the issue we're in, mm-hmm. right? And I think that my mindset is shifting a little bit on that at the moment, partly due to the books I'm reading and partly out of necessity and my response to climate mm-hmm. change. And so it's it's a fascinating question, what does wildlife and nature mean to you? I mean, another thing that arises for me is responsibility. And I, I can't I like be out doors at the moment without feeling a general sadness actually which is crazy as well as being uplifted and it's a mental health you know boost every day to go for a walk I also feel automatically sad because all I see is the sort of depleted cut, chopped down hedgerows depleted farm farm fields and all this stuff and I feel sad about what we've done to it so I feel a responsibility I think to wildlife and nature I think that's why some people don't connect with it I think there is a fear that you once you connect with it you start to see the and then you're like, oh my god, I should not have lifted that. Totally. Like, do you know what I mean? You open that door and you're like, it's like the dirty closet in your house that you just throw everything in, <laughs> and you open it up and you're like, oh crap, look at all that. <laughs> like, yeah. And it is. But it is. It's time to open up yeah. and see what we've Absolutely. done. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, massively. I, I share that feel. I like that what you just said about the responsibility and you 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 walk around because I'm feeling that a lot at the moment and you walk and you just notice these little things. It started off noticing these little insects and then you start to notice, oh, that crisp packet on the floor. Oh my God, there's more concrete over here. And you start to like, yeah. well, you start to not see it, I guess, is, is what some of the problem is. But today we're going to be talking, like I said at the beginning, about beavers, but a year later. And so we're going to do a bit of a recap. Um, They've dominated, rightly so, nature news, I would say, in the last 18 months, which I've loved every single minute of it. <laughs> I don't think I'd even... You just like the innuendo, don't you? I mean, who doesn't? Who doesn't? Who doesn't need a beaver in their life? <laughs> I, don't, I don't even think I knew much about beavers or even considered a beaver before I started this podcast. But we've discussed them on the show before, like I said. But from the initial release on the River Otter which was last year, I believe. Where are we at now of the species in the UK? So there are between 1,000 and 1,500 beavers in Britain. Wow. They are, just to clear one thing up, they've never been in the island of Ireland, so it's not the UK, technically speaking. Oh, okay. It's just Britain. Yeah, interesting Mm. that, isn't it? How they can get across the whole of Northern Hemisphere. But But not not over to Ireland. Ireland. (laughs) (laughs) That's 
Charlie Vernon. Just, I don't know. I love Ireland. <laughs> I love it there. Guinness is great. <laughs> anyway, uh, we digress. So yeah, so they've been. So that's that's where we are with the population size in Britain, which is still way short of many European countries yeah. and very early days. So it's a very exciting time to be bringing them back. And I think that particularly for those who've been involved since the early days, mm-hmm. like since you know, for twenty or thirty years in it, I think there's still a huge amount to learn for the general public in their sort of for everyone to know how to live alongside these creatures again because they're so impactful because the population size versus sort of landscape size of this country and our use of it it's going to be a challenging population growth so there's still huge hesitancy from central agencies and government where to a degree we've got control and fear sort of ruling things still and change isn't easy because there are loads and loads of different organizations at play and interests so it is a really complex thing to do but at the same time we've learned a lot now so the science is to a degree done there's so much evidence the river otter beaver trial um science and evidence report is really comprehensive and there's new research out recently by rob needham at beaver trust for example on fish um impacts on beavers and there's established research all across Europe on various things to do with beavers. So there's always more that one can do, but there's a lot of science that exists to base decision-making on. And um, they are, I mean, we've got several wild populations now. Some of them still need to be surveyed properly to be understood properly. We've got sort of 20, I think it's 20 plus enclosures around England with beaver releases. So We're getting there, certainly. And of course, we've got the new English beaver strategy consultation out at the moment at the point of recording, and that closes on the 17th of November. So that will start a process of moving towards a policy for beavers and their management in Britain, in England, sorry. And hopefully it'll link up with what goes on in Scotland already and then inform what happens in Wales so that we've got, because of course beavers don't have political boundaries, they're just in one <laughs> island. <laughs> Not sure which party they're aligned to. I know, that's do, a but, good question, um, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll ponder that one. <laughs> I'm now desperately trying to think of a pun and well, I can't. Yeah, I, I, can't. <laughs> I know. There's got to be something. Uh, well, I'll keep somewhere. thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> Rerecord that bit half an hour later. Yeah. Um, I, basically, you know, in in the nature restoration world and wildlife enthusiasts, I'm certainly not alone in feel, feeling super excited about what's next because of what beavers do. You know, the rapid pace and scale of change for biodiversity and wildlife is unreal, and it's it's the reason that I chose to work in this mm. movement. Is it's one of the few things standing in a beaver wetland is one of the few things that brings me hope that we can do something to reverse human damage on our environment. And life support systems. That's such a powerful thing, like, isn't it? To, to just stand in their environment and go like, this is the best and quickest thing we could probably do in, in our country. Yeah, and it's exciting that that exists mm. and they'll just sit there and do it for free. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Great. Do you think it's going to be a slow progress to get more in? Do you think it's kind of going to happen? Because like you said, that with the land ownership and, and, and a lot of collab needed. Yes and no. I mean, they're already out there and they will disperse Mm. and they'll also always require licenses, certainly for the foreseeable future, to release more. But hopefully we can work with all the interested parties to get to the point where we've got sufficient management in place that fear is lessened of impact and also introduce things like river buffer zones that reduce conflict so that if the beavers are operating within 10 to 20 metres of the river, they're not encroaching on farmland or what have you and and it just helps a little bit 
measures like that will make a big difference, I think, as we learn to go alongside them again. Yeah, I, I agree. And sometimes I think it's it, it, mindset is a powerful thing, isn't it? It's changing that just to make life so much easier <laughs> to get stuff done. Hugely. But I think also you, you can't expect to change mindset very quickly because that is one of the hardest things to change. So you've sort of got to work within it. But, you know, the urgency of climate change is, is on our side because more and more people are seeing that conservation is no longer about maintaining the status quo from 30 years ago. Yeah. It's now about doing what we can to adapt. And that is where beavers can help. Amazing. And for people that are listening that might strangely have lived under a rock and not heard much about the impacts of what beavers can do, <laughs> especially this audience, um, what are some of the impacts we see once beavers have been established on a plot of land? So they, it starts with, um, particularly in headwaters, where they need to create water depth to feel safe from predators, they will build dams, mm -hmm. uh, often a complex system of a few dams, to raise the water level to about a metre. That slows the flow of water through the landscape. And in slowing it, it stores it and spreads it behind the dam, which creates ponds and wetlands and beautiful habitat, which supports a whole host of other species. And so there are human benefits, things like flood and drought reduction. In the US, there's a lot of evidence of um, fire um, sort of safety zones. So you've sort of got these pictures of blackened landscapes with a little green oasis, which is the beaver wetland Amazing. in the middle. And I don't think we should be naive as to think that we're um, completely free from that in britain yeah. in due course you know it could could well happen so beaver refuges wildfire refuges but um so there's there's that water flow and then there the dams also filter water as it goes down the river system so there's water quality improvements and agricultural runoff pollutant filtering which is amazing as well and much needed at the moment mm, i think yeah god yeah and sediment <laughs> um yeah and another, so, so then they create this mosaic of habitats and some of the stats of the wildlife at that, that sort of the, the food chain and the keystone impacts are staggering. So the classic one from the River Otter is the frogspawn clumps. There were something like 11 counted on the original control, then 300 were there oh, wow. sort of four years later. And then another three years later, there were something like 600 frogspawn clumps Incredible. in this counted area. And you can imagine that life that springs off that. And then there's another brilliant study on Odonata in West Germany, dragonflies and damselflies, where the control stream, they counted um, four species of dragonfly and damselfly on an actively managed beaver wetland they counted 27 and on e even on a previous beaver wetland where the beavers had moved on and weren't looking after it anymore there were still seven species because they create you know they create the stuff that we tend to clear up if there's nothing <laughs> we've, we've yeah. got a history of straightening our rivers to get rid of the water as quickly as possible and that's not what the landscape needs naturally mm. you know rivers need, and streams need to wiggle around and you need to let trees lie in the water if they've fallen over and that creates deadwood which is for example where willow tit build their nests oh cool and because and, we, and that, that's one of britain's most uh, endangered residential species i think mm. possibly the most endangered and that's come back if, for example chris has had a chris jones has had a returning breeding pair i think back in the cornwall beaver oh, project amazing because you've got this naturally coppiced tree mm. stumps and things like that and that's where they build their homes so there's some amazing stuff that happens yeah flood water quality um carbon storage is another thing so there's a study in america which could be applied here because the species impacts are pretty similar where a beaver actively managed beaver wetland mm -hmm. stored three times the amount of carbon than a non 
beaver managed wetlands. Wow. So it's the only carbon related, um, carbon sequestration related study, I think, that's available, but it's still pretty impressive. Yeah, that's that's incredible. So there's all sorts of, uh, and then there's just, you know, the, the whole human mental health and well-being of being in a beaver wetland. Down at the Cornwall Beaver Project, we've had meditation experts ask if they can bring clients down there to be, you know, because it's such a wonderful place to hang out. You need to shout that in the area that I live in, (laughs) mate. (laughs) I live in Highgate in North London. If you said, come and meditate in a beaver wetland, oh, you'd rinse up. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You wouldn't need funding ever again. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> amazing beaver yoga beaver yoga god imagine i'm, I'm gonna see that on virgin red that. letter days coming up soon. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing though isn't it just one animal can just present all that and then when you when you list that out it's like yeah this is why we're pushing for this because it's just so needed from biodiversity and to climate change as well and excitedly yeah, nice. as i sit here in north london I can't remember how long. You'll be able to probably inform me of how long ago this was announced. I feel like it was a few months ago. But beavers are apparently, hopefully, maybe heading to the big smoke concrete jungle of London. How and where (laughs) and do you think this will happen? Um, The how is through lots of consultation and feasibility reports, Mm -hmm. which is going on at the moment. Where is still TBC? So we are involved in looking at some areas, but they're going to have to be the areas of vegetation where there is forage for the beavers. (laughs) They're not going to be on the tube. So not suddenly going to get them at Oxford Circus. Um, (laughs) I wish. (laughs) Although, I mean, you know, there are pictures of beavers in brilliant urban areas in Europe. That's true, yeah. (laughs) Chomping on a tree by a lamppost in the middle of a city. So it probably will happen eventually. But um, yeah, I think the exciting thing really about the London opportunity and other major cities is that just like out of town, what beavers might be able to do there is to help establish green corridors through Mm -hmm. cities. So if you choose areas and, and, and then you sort of either protect them or... Um, work other initiatives into that so they're looked after by their community and for the community that's quite an exciting picture because you can start to sort of um string them together and get nice natural nature corridors do you think that for for a city like london as well bringing the beaver into this kind of area is a great opportunity for like kind of i'm going to use the word marketing for the campaign because you're going to reach so do you know what i mean though <laughs> beaver marketing. it's like beaver marketing isn't uh, do you know it? Because, what you mean yeah yeah it is engagement Engage- is sorry yeah engagement <laughs> Jesus, the word engagement. Yeah, yeah sorry. Marketing, I'm going with, though. Beaver marketing. Um, <laughs> they market themselves. Um, <laughs> Basically, have they got a logo? <laughs> definitely, definitely. Because that is part of the journey that we need to go on at the moment. And one of the really exciting things for me is like the school's engagement mm-hmm. and the community engagement. And because... 99% of people, when you tell them about these creatures, get really excited about yeah. it and want to know and want to help and want to see them and want to support. And so being able to bring that near or in urban areas will reach huge amounts of people and then suddenly you start to change the game on acceptance and that filters out into the rest of the country. So, yeah, very much part of the journey and it would be great if we can see them back near London soon. I've, I've, I'm gonna, I've, I've got to ask and I don't know how much you can say. How, how do you feel about them being in London? Are you, are you feeling optimistic that it's going to happen or do you think there's still quite some work to go yeah both Mm. both yeah yeah i I suspect it will happen um but i think i think in terms of you know greater london 
that's more so so there you know you don't get huge green areas they're not suddenly going to be in Hyde Park anytime yeah. soon I mean Hampstead yeah, Heath would be London, great definitely soon it would be good wouldn't it would be amazing swimming in the ponds it's possible um, <laughs> he says with no idea how to release or manage a beef <laughs> um, yeah and give them some traffic lessons yeah <laughs> Yeah, um, and you mentioned it a minute ago. Defra released a public survey in response to their Beaver management plan. What did you make of the plan that was set out by Defra? Really welcome it happening because it's been a long time in coming, mm. and it's really urgently needed. So that's great that it's happening. To me personally, and I think probably representing Beaver Trust as well, it, it showed a, it indicated a slight lack of actual acceptance that beavers should be native and wild mm. again like any other wild animal like if you were treating them as if they were deer and rabbit you wouldn't expect as this proposal suggests at the moment that the communities reintroducing them pay for the next 10 years to protect them and, and manage them um because that is adopted by you know infrastructure organizations if something happens yeah. you know, rabbit on a train line or something that's a really bad example but, um, <laughs> you know I'm I mean? with you I'm with you I said beaver marketing a minute ago don't worry about it mate <laughs> <laughs> so um, but there's a lot they, they're covering the right subjects mm. you know yes beavers need management and we need a management strategy and we need to know where funding's going to come from and because we don't need we need to not be naive about the fact that that does need resourcing but there's a lot yet to be discussed over where that funding sits we think it should probably be centrally funded in at least in part and at the moment that that's not in the proposal and there are things like that that sort of don't sit well with a proper acceptance that beavers might spread as a native animal in the wild again we've we've done a lot of engagement with it over various uh, across stakeholder groups and we've submitted our response to the proposal and we're encouraging right now everyone else to add their own voice and we've received a few other responses in writing from other organizations and you know i think a lot of people are on the same page yeah. and broadly welcoming it we need the discussion the main thing is that we need to keep driving for it to happen soon so once this consultation finishes what do we do with all that information make sure that we actually progress to getting a strategy in place because you know take, if you take the example of scotland the beavers were accepted as native in 2019 they still don't have a national strategy jesus there is a framework and there is a management plan, but they don't have a national strategy against which they can pin decisions. God, that's mad. So the risk is that we do the same thing. So there's no plan to go forward with anything. It's just a there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a management framework. People know what they need to do if an issue arises and things like that. But it's just a there's that crucial bit of this is our position on it is, is missing. And, and we need the British government to... We need DEFRA to, to listen to people and engage in the next bits of conversation and be willing to upset some people and not others, and, and but to get to a conclusion. And that's going to be hard. Well, that's part of the mindset change, isn't it? Like, if you don't have that, you're not going to... Minds will never change. It will just sit and stew. Possibly, I think. yeah. Yeah. But there are a lot of individuals within government agencies who want to see beavers back and get that they could be really important and really helpful and beneficial. So that's that's a real positive. Mm. It's a question of how we draw it all together that makes sense for all the different stakeholder groups and doesn't unduly impact any one landowner or landowner group. I, I feel bad asking this question because I don't want to give you an anxiety about it. <laughs> Sorry, right, I'm maxed out on anxiety. Yeah, yeah. Far away. What a week to ask. Um, <laughs> do you, are you guys kind of ever sat waiting 
for anyone for there to be an issue and just waiting for a group or an organization to use that really as a reason to not bring back the beaver do you know what i mean like no no i don't think so and again because they are so well established now mm. across europe i think we've seen all the things that would happen okay cool to a degree like it's going to be the impacts will be context specific mm. so every single catchment will have different impacts but they those impacts will fall in broadly into one of a number of categories that we're really well aware of mm. already which is why we're really confident and which a lot of people are confident that we know how to manage these creatures as a question of resourcing to be able to do that and to be able to do it quickly enough that a potential issue doesn't become a catastrophe nice okay cool that's that's Basically. good to know <laughs> Um, yeah, and and because I think we shouldn't be naive, you know, when yeah. when beaver populations do get a lot bigger, there could be a lot of management to be done, but it's not beyond our ability to do that, mm. and that's what people maybe miss a sort of panic at the thought of rodents all over the country that they can't control. But yeah, that's what they think. Isn't we it? Managed, managed to hunt them to extinction, you know, a long time ago. So I'm sure we could do it again if we really wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> The way you said that, the wildlife killers. You said that as if that's on the risk assessment. Like, guys, we've killed them all before. We'll just kill them all again. <laughs> Plan E: wipe them out again. We'll wipe them out and we'll start again. That's what we do. <laughs> An unbelievable plan. Can you imagine? <laughs> oh, that really tickled me again. Um, one more question I wasn't going to ask. I don't know why, I just thought about it, which, because it's in the news at the moment, and I think they did the vote on it, was it this morning or yesterday, I can't remember now, um, with the raw sewage in our rivers in the UK. Mm. I suddenly thought of this today. Is this something that we really need to take into account before releasing animals into a river system, the state of the quality of our waters? What are we putting that animal into? <laughs> yeah, it's a really good question, actually. But I think the answer is the same as all the others. We need Yes, and. You know, we can't hold back until all our rivers are fixed because that's going to be a bloody long time. Yeah, yeah of course. Um, at the same time you know, water quality assessment should probably be part of a consideration if you're mm. going to reintroduce beavers. But by and large, they'll help improve it. So yeah, good point. Yeah. Assuming, as long as it's not about to kill them when you introduce it because it's just basically raw sewage, which probably is the case for most of <laughs> oh the so, There's so much <laughs> going on at the moment. Literally, I'm, I, I try and think of these questions um, on the episode. I'm like, oh, that sounds negative, but, you know, that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's a little bit like that if you look at it too closely, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. But, you know, there's so many people doing a lot of good things yeah. campaigning and action on the ground and a lot is changing and it's changing fast and i think there's huge uh, reason to be hopeful mm-hmm. and if you throw beavers into the mix you know physically or um, <laughs> metaphorically uh it's probably going to help <laughs> nice nice of course cool. I, I feel optimistic i do i do i just always i think it's just two weeks either this last two weeks have just been a bit like Uh, But I do feel optimistic. You are right. Um, On that note, let's ask this question. What are you looking forward to with the next... What are you looking forward to next with beavers being back in the UK? What's kind of keeping you pumped? Keeping me pumped? (laughs) Sure amount of work to get through. Um, (laughs) Personally, schools' involvement, it really always gets me really excited. Mm. And the learning and engagement opportunities, because... Because of beavers' multifaceted impacts, there's so much that you can do to connect environmental and climate learning mm. through beaver wetlands and the animal and their impacts. And I just love engaging children and young people with that and starting to see that change of 
thinking mm. or a different way of putting it is you know we, we tend to educate our children out of creative thinking yes into this really blinkered mindset of capitalism and beavers are another way to avoid that and keep them creative and systemic thinking which they naturally are as very young children uh, for longer and there's a lot of that going on at the moment a lot of curriculum change or certainly we need more curriculum change but a lot of um, educational input from climate and wildlife groups and that's really really cool because you can start to see it you start to get you know my kids come home talking about some really awesome stuff that i would never have been exposed to when i was at primary school that's amazing isn't it? and that stuff with beavers is, is awesome because it's it's water cycle it's wildlife it's climate it's systemic thinking because that's what they do their systemic impacts it's land use and food production and everything you can link back to beavers if you like that's amazing so um so that's what yeah that's what excites me next and it's as and beaver trust wise we have dabbled in that and there's some stuff available on our website but i want to do loads more mm. and we're starting to partner with some locations and some potential beaver enclosures that might enable that a bit more in a bit more detail and with a bit more oomph so that's really exciting Amazing. I'm, I'm so I'm I'm really glad what you just mentioned about the systemic thinking because I'm re- I'm reading a book called Emotional Intelligence. Oh wow, cool. By um Andy Cope and Amy Bradley, which talks exactly about what you just said about being trained or kind of like taught out of that kind of creative thinking and into that kind of capitalist way of thinking, and it's about stopping yourself and going back to what you were like as a child going why shouldn't you be able to jump in a puddle like <laughs> why can't you do that and yeah. it's so interesting you just brought that up because it's. I think that's why we see the power in our youth still now from any age really yeah. is because there's that keen creative way of I want to change I want to learn I want to it's amazing they think they can they believe they can they haven't had it educated out of them to think they can't do exactly. it which is where most adults are they're like yeah but we're working within these bounds yes and so therefore but it doesn't need to be like that. And it's really hard as an adult to break beyond that and think beyond that. There's an amazing guy called Ken, I want to say Robinson, one of the, uh, there's an old TED talk, which I'll send you, mm. which is all about this. And there's, there's this moment that always made me laugh where he describes this little kid drawing a picture and the teacher comes over and says, what are you drawing a picture of? I'm drawing a picture of God. And she's like, but no one knows what God looks like. And the kid goes, well, they will in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. the, the level of sass as well that's what you need solutions creativity yeah. belief, belief. Self belief it is that belief kids have that yeah so education and yeah particularly i think for me young kids and bringing engaging them with beavers is, is a really brilliant opportunity and there's lots of interest never more needed but also sought after mm. at the moment so yeah absolutely really cool. absolutely the last question of the of the show mate um is what well, might be the hardest one um is if you could pass on one bit of advice onto everyone regarding the natural world what would it be christ that's a question to ask at the moment isn't it it's all right luckily you gave it to me before i have an answer <laughs> and it's this <laughs> no one else is going to save it it's your responsibility amazing that is my piece of advice i like that so I like that because, you know, what? so many times I'm conflicted with that kind of ideology because I agree with that. And then I always see people going, but it's not in our control. It's up to these big corporations. And I'm like, but, but, you, but like they blame capitalism. I'm like, yeah, but you are away. You are capitalism. Like you are, <laughs> you, you're not off the grid, mate. Like <laughs> It's like that. I think there was something on social media the other day where people had to be pointed out that. We thought we whinge about being stuck in traffic. When you're in traffic, you are traffic. 
them, mate. Like, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> same issue, same deal. Well, I, I'm really glad you said that because I that is my ideology of is it is your responsibility, and we are all the same for that. And you can put your money in better places. You can vote better. You can go to better places. And oh god, yeah, that's my big rant. I need, I need to get, I need to record that. <laughs> Let it out. I know. Yeah. I need to go on a big ten-minute yeah. rant and record it for a bonus episode. I think <laughs> it's a nice bit of advice, though. And for general advice to parents, is get your kids outside. Yeah, um, it, it's always a battle, particularly if it's raining. But it's never a bad idea. Well, sh- okay. So, what, how how do you get your? I mean, I bet your kids love going outside, though, don't they? Yeah. Yes and no. You've got chickens. That helps. <laughs> that does help. It's true. <laughs> but even then, it's usually a battle to get shoes on and coats on and, you know, beyond. Yeah, I guess this time of year. And isn't it? All that stuff. It and it feels a, feels a hurdle, but it's never a bad idea and it solves argument and it just chills people out and yeah. it takes out energy. It's just, you know, outdoors is awesome. And what's your tip for um, getting yourself outside? Because surely that's harder for adults. Ooh, yeah. Being disciplined enough mm. to, for example, break up the working day is hard, actually. Should be really easy, but it's quite hard. Don't know what my tip is for me. Because mine, mine's <laughs> interesting. Because, I mean, obviously my job is outside. But then even when I'm doing an admin day, because I'm freelance, it's so easy to go, I'm going to go for a walk. But I know not everyone has that luxury of being able to just go, I know I'll get that done in a minute and no one's going to check if I don't. <laughs> So yeah, true. my tip would just be like, it, it's literally a case of, as you think it, just stop. Just even if you're halfway through an yeah. email, don't say, I'll, I'll do it after that email. I'll, I'll get this list done. Just go, wait, no, I'm off. I'm going outside for half an yeah, hour. Yeah, the other thing the other thing to it is to pin it to something, like do it in the morning before you start work or do it at lunchtime yeah. so you make time for it, I suppose. And I try and do that. And I, I'm quite, well, I've had to learn solutions for mental health improvement because mm. um, I've struggled a little bit over the years particularly recently mm. and I I know how important that is for me getting outside and what a monumental difference it it's makes amazing, even doing it? a 20 minute walk mm. so I make a point of it um now and I think it's hard but it's not that hard to carve out 20 minutes in your day unless you're someone like a consultant doctor who works 12 hour shift or something actually junior doctor is more appropriate for that comment um <laughs> sorry <laughs> apologies um yeah but you know what i mean yes because I, I, I i am really conscious across everything i do and talk about that i'm speaking from a position of considerable privilege and i don't want to annoy people by sort of saying it's easy to get outside but i think it probably is easy enough for most to have a 10 minute hmm. breath of fresh air and it doesn't and it doesn't take it doesn't, you don't need to walk for two hours no. you can walk for 10 minutes and it will make a difference my cousin once said that to me actually she's like take even if it's 10 minutes get outside and i you know for a few years that really resonated yeah i, I tend to think now especially this time of year again like I, I try and tell my friends that work from home or, or working in offices is that it, this time of year in the autumn and winter when it is a bit dark and gloomy and a bit wet is that if you pop outside indoors will feel way better when you get back in because it's kind of going, mm. yeah, it's raining outside, but you don't want to be indoors for 12 hours. But if you go outside for 10 minutes, you don't mind being indoors for another six. So it's kind of like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It might be shit out there. Might get less anyway. Yeah, it's like putting your yeah. jacket on. Don't don't wear your jacket indoors. You won't feel the benefits. So if you go outside for a bit, you go back in, you go, I'm glad I'm back indoors now because it was <laughs> it down. <laughs> so it's a yeah. kind of, it's using what you've, you've got around you to improve your mood, I guess. 
That, that's what helps me. It is. And, and maybe trying to maintain a bit of that lockdown mentality when so mm. many people tried new things. Yeah. Um, it was a re- that, that forced a mindset shift. Like you, you keep saying about mindset. Mm. That forced it. And it was an amazing response. It's incredible. The, the com- community and outdoor spirited response was profound. Mm-hmm. And if we could only hold on to that, which a lot of people are trying to do, and you're seeing that in the fewer commuter numbers and things like that. But I think on an individual level, if you can try and maintain a bit of that reality checked perspective then i think you start to see change as well well that is a cool answer to my last question i don't think we've had a we've gone on a nice little chat about mental health on the end now i like it <laughs> like it um eva thank you so much for coming on into the world it is a pleasure to have you on and i'm a big fan of what you guys are doing over at the beaver trust um and i still need to make my way down to a location to see a beaver that's what i need to do you do you do I need they're to very do cool yeah i think maybe yeah. devon next uh devon or cornwall why can't i remember now well, they're all over the place. They're all over the place, right? Just neck, neck of the woods. Just, yeah. just, just put a pin in a map, Ryan, and go somewhere. Um, I will. I'm going to be travelling down. I've got people down that way to go and see anyway. So maybe I'll collab and meet up and come and do a, a yeah. on location with Chris. Maybe an episode that'd be nice. Um, but mate, that thank you so great. much, so much for coming on Pleasure. the show. Um, enjoy the rest of your evening, and I look forward to the advancements of the of the projects coming up. Thanks very much. It's been a pleasure. Take care. Thanks again for listening, everyone. If you'd like to keep up to date with the projects and work Eva is working on, then you can do so on social media. Her tags are in the write-up of this episode. Also, you can follow us on social media at Into the Wild Pod on Twitter and Into the Wild Podcast on Instagram. And if you'd like to get in touch about Into the Wild or ask any questions or suggest any ideas for some episodes, you can email me at intothewildpod at gmail.com. A quick note to say that all the opinions and expressions expressed in today's episode belong to the person that said them and do not represent those opinions held by Into the Wild or anyone that we work with or are affiliated with. Into the Wild always aims to be a free show, however running it is not free. If you'd like to support us and say thanks then you can do so by buying me a coffee. Our Ko-fi link is in the write-up of this episode. Until next time, keep well, stay safe and live the good life.